the Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sat from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine unlocking a version of yourself that's unstoppable, where mental barriers no longer hold you back. Listen to Mentally Stronger with me, Amy Morin, therapist and international bestselling author, here to guide you on a journey to reaching your greatest potential. Every Monday, I bring you into conversations with some of the most fascinating minds, experts, authors, entrepreneurs, athletes, and musicians. They don't just share stories. They reveal the mental strategies that propelled them to the top. But here's the real magic. At the end of each episode, I break down their wisdom into practical therapist-approved advice. In my solo episodes, I dive deep into the techniques that build mental strength. It's like having your own personal therapy session as you discover how to turn these insights into steps you can take right now. This podcast isn't just for those facing mental health challenges. It's for anyone who wants to push their limits, achieve peak performance, and truly thrive. Are you ready to unlock your full potential? Then it's time to become mentally stronger. Subscribe to Mentally Stronger with therapist Amy Morin, available wherever you love to listen to podcasts. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Cup of murder. Christmas, for those who celebrate, is a time for joy, giving, and family. It's a time where even the most dark hearts soften a little and let in the warmth of the Christmas spirit. Well, at least some dark hearts. On December 24th, 2008, a man showed up at a Christmas party dressed as Saint Nick and ready to send the whole holiday up in flames. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. It was Christmas Eve 2008 in an upscale neighborhood in Covina, California, where a party was taking place with a guest list of about two dozen or so. Adults and children milled about the room, some drinking and all pretty merry, when an eight-year-old girl standing near the door heard the sound of knocking at around 11.30 p.m. Running up the hallway to see who was at the front door, Katrina Yusupolsky was surprised and overjoyed to see the image of Santa Claus right before her eyes, holding a large wrapped parcel. The perfect Christmas image. Then, as quickly as the joy spread through her face, Santa pulled out a semi-automatic handgun and shot her in the face at nearly point-blank range. Pushing past her, the not-so-jolly man walked deeper into the home and turned his weapon on every single guest in the house as they dove for cover or tried to flee out any door and window they could find. 
Neighbors who looked out their window at the sounds saw one girl leap from her second floor window, breaking her ankle on the concrete below. And a teenage boy flee from the house screaming, they shot my family. After shooting indiscriminately at a home full of party guests, Santa, who was really a 45-year-old man named Bruce Jeffrey Pardo, unwrapped the gift box, pulled out a homemade flamethrower, sprayed napalm all over the home, and set it ablaze. In total, nine people were killed that Christmas Eve by either gunshots or the fire that burned inside of 1129 Knollcrest Drive. Three more, including Katrina, who remarkably survived the shot to her face, were injured. The survivor, who managed to get to a neighbor's home, called 911 as the flames soared upwards of 40 to 50 feet in the air. It took 80 firefighters almost two hours to finally extinguish the fire, and the bodies inside were so charred that they had to be identified by their dental records. About two hours after the flames were finally doused, authorities got a call summoning them to the home of Bruce Pardo's brother, where, one block away and in a rental car, they found the deadly Santa dead from a self-inflicted gunshot wound to his head. Strapped to his body, which had pieces of Santa suit melted and fused to it, with plastic wrap and a girdle, was $17,000 in cash and a plane ticket for Air Canada that was scheduled to leave on Christmas Day. His brother was not present at the time of Bruce's suicide, which police believed became the new plan when Bruce realized the extent of his third-degree burns. The car was rigged with remnants of that suit that would detonate with black powder if removed. It was ignited as the bomb squad attempted to render the vehicle safe, leading police to assume Bruce's home was likely also a danger and evacuated the surrounding homes. There, they recovered five empty boxes for semi-automatic handguns, a Benelli M2 tactical shotgun, a container for high-octane fuel tank gasoline, and what police described as a, quote, virtual bomb factory inside of his unassuming home. Looking on as they ransacked the place, neighbors described Bruce as, quote, very nice, very sociable, and a man who seemed normal. A man who, prior to the shooting and arson, volunteered to serve as an usher at the midnight mass at his Catholic church. Instead, he went and picked up the rental car, donned the red suit, and knocked on the door of a family who hosted a yearly Christmas party. A family, as it turned out, that Bruce knew very well. As police began to identify both the victims and the shooter, a chilling story started to unfold. Bruce did not pick that home on Knollcrest Drive at random. No, that home actually belonged to his former in-laws. Those who perished in the rampage were 43-year-old Sylvia Ortega Pardo, Bruce's ex-wife and the main target of his anger, 70-year-old Alicia Sotomayor Ortega, his former mother-in-law, 80-year-old Joseph S. Ortega, his former father-in-law, 49-year-old Charles Ortega and 51-year-old James Ortega, his former brothers-in-law, 45-year-old Sherry Lynn Ortega, 52-year-old Teresa Ortega, and 46-year-old Alicia Ortega Ortiz, his former sisters-in-law, and 17-year-old Michael Andre Ortiz, his nephew who, unlike the others, was not shot but perished in the fire. And that eight-year-old girl who he looked square in the eyes as he leveled his weapon at her small face was his eight-year-old little niece. Because he knew the family very well, 
He not only knew about the family Christmas party, but he also knew about the tradition of having someone dressed as Santa show up and surprise the children. At least 13 of those children were now orphaned, with two of them losing at least one parent. With this revelation came speculation as to the motive for Bruce Pardo's attack. Sylvia, who had only been Bruce's wife for one year, had settled for divorce just a week before his rampage. However, Bruce had no criminal record, nor any history of violence, meaning the attack came as a complete shock to the surviving family members. According to some, the reason for the divorce was Bruce's concealment of a child from a previous relationship, that he was, unbeknownst the child's mother, claiming as a dependent on his taxes despite not having seen this child for years. The boy, nine-year-old Matthew, had fallen into a swimming pool when he was just a toddler and was left severely brain damaged. Bruce, who was alone with Matthew when the incident took place, was sued by the child's mother to help with the cost of his medical care. She received about $36,000 from Bruce's $100,000 homeowner's insurance policy, and it was placed in a trust fund for Matthew. He never contributed any more money nor time to his son. According to the stories, Bruce, who married Sylvia in January of 2006 after meeting her in 2004, refused to open a joint account with his new wife and told her she needed to financially care for her three children with her own finances. When she divorced him in June of 2008, after telling the judge how he drained their more than $88,000 nest egg down to $17,000 in less than two months, the court ordered Bruce to pay almost $2,000 a month in spousal support, a price that was made difficult to pay when he was fired the following month for billing false hours at his job as an electrical engineer, forcing the court to suspend the support payments. He also had to pay Sylvia $10,000 as part of a divorce settlement. She kept her wedding ring, the family dog, and moved back into her parents' home where Bruce grew angry because she was not paying any rent. He claimed she was, quote, taking him to the cleaners and spending his money on a luxury car, gambling trips to Las Vegas, fine dining, massages, and golf lessons. By the fall of 2008, he was asking the judge to have her pay and support him financially. With debt racking up and no job to support him, Bruce descended deeply into a dark spiral. According to the reports, Bruce plotted his attack for several months, planning on killing his mother, who was also invited to the party but opted to stay home, and Sylvia's divorce attorney after the Christmas party attack, but due to his injuries, ended his life instead. He left a rented car near the attorney's Glendale home the day of the shooting and filled it with maps, clothing, and a fuel tank, but he never made it. When all of this came to light, Bruce's mother Nancy told the LA Times that she wanted all of the money found strapped to her son's body and any and all of his assets to be placed in a fund for the children of her former daughter-in-law, her grandchildren. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again to hear what terrible thing happened on December 25th. Don't forget to subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe. <laughs>